Today's TripCast is presented by the LBJ Presidential Library. In recognition of the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, Texas high school seniors have the opportunity to win a first prize of $2,500 in an essay and documentary contest sponsored by the LBJ Presidential Library in Austin. Topics are how voting rights remain an enduring issue in society and one aspect of the Voting Rights Act that impacts their life today. Submissions will be accepted beginning January 1st, 2015, with a deadline of midnight January 26, 2015. Details are at www.lbjlibrary.org. Texas talking off. What was that that you said? Texas talking off. Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking off. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are? Hello and welcome to the TripCast. This is Senator elect Paul Betancourt. Every freshman senator in Texas knows to listen to this podcast, so I make a motion to hear the distinguished host, Reeve Hamilton, right now. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the second week of December. I am joined by CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith. Merry Christmas, Reeve. And same to you. Executive I saw what you did there. <laughs> Executive editor Ross Ramsey. This isn't the Christmas podcast, is it? No, we have one more until then. But well, Evan is not super well-versed on when Christmas is, I don't think. Well, happy holidays. Yeah, thank you. Well, I am the Douglas MacArthur of the war on Christmas. That's it. <laughs> Alexa Yura, reporter for the Texas Tribune, has also joined us. Hello. But she's all about Christmas. Yeah, I think... All we... the time. Okay. Why not? I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now that... Thank you, Evan, for getting us <laughs> off to that start. I don't really care. It's uh, fine. Well, we appreciate the intro from Senator Betancourt. He's, of course, uh, about to get a new colleague in the Senate, now that we know who won the... They're all, they're all new colleagues. There's going to be nine. But but who who just joined them? Number eight is Lois Kolkhorst. Number nine is whoever wins Letitia Vandepute's seat in San Antonio after they call an election, if they ever call an election. We should talk about that. Well, we, you know, I think we have. If we ever have a trip cast, we'll have do that. Have we? Yeah. Do you want, what do you want to say about it? Well, I think it's interesting to see how that race is playing out. Well, we've got the T-Berry shuffle going on. You know, Mike uh, Villarreal in the House and Letitia Vandepute in the Senate, who just lost the lieutenant governor's race, are running for mayor of San Antonio. There will be races to replace the two of them. Lots of races. And if one of the two state representatives, I guess one of the two state representatives who's running to replace Vandepute, should one of them win then there will be a race to replace them. We won't have a full 181-member legislature until April. Well, what, what happens with Colcourt's seat now that she's moved on to the Senate? So they'll call a special election for <clears throat> election for Colcourt's seat. And, and there are already people who've announced for that seat. Why should they wait for there to be an actual well, seat? She didn't wait for there to be an actual seat, right? Exactly. Well, there will be, you know, there's a race there. There's a race for Tim Kleinschmidt's seat. He is leading the House, although he just got elected to go work with Sid Miller at the Department of Agriculture. Um you know, there's a bunch of empty seats sprinkled in there. In fact, in the Texas Tribune, there's a big chart of all of these things and, you know, sort of who the <clears> new 30 <throat> members of the House are, the new eight members of the Senate. There's a seat to be decided in the House or two. There's a seat to be decided in the Senate. Uh, and we have three new members of Congress. What's interesting to me about the tra- – we don't have to talk about the tray. uh Jose Menendez raced too much, except that I think what's happened since the last time this podcast was recorded was Menendez – released a list of his finance committee, and it's essentially every single Republican in Bear County, which is about 15 mm-hmm. people. Um, <laughs> and they're all about Bill, Bill Gree, he is his campaign treasurer, Red McCombs, the Zachary's. It's a lot of uh, sort of the, the Republican establishment in San Antonio and in Bear County. 
And there's a rumor on the street, unconfirmed, that TLR, the Texans for Lawsuit Reform folks, who, having accomplished tort reform and now moving on to agenda items unrelated directly to tort reform, although probably you can assume anybody they help elect is on the tort reform team. Well, if there's a rumor on the street, let's be sure the ru- to broadcast it here. The rumor well, on I've the street. I've actually talked <laughs> to PLR about this. Heard. I'll correct him in a minute. But Are ahead. you going to correct me? The rumor sure. on the street is that they're going to get behind Menendez, which is mostly a stop tray effort more than a start Jose effort. Is that false? Well, the TLR people... <laughs> you <laughs> like how I just did that? <laughs> now that I've said Man, that... Man, I work for Rolling Stone? <laughs> my, 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 that's, some, that's some Rolling Stone level fact-checking right there. At least I asked the question. <laughs> they have not jumped into this race and have, in fact have not decided whether they should or will jump into this race. Most of the TLR people in San Antonio who have declared for one side or another are on Menendez's side. So I'm not sure the TLR... Officially, we'll jump into this thing, but stay tuned to Evan Smith for details. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> no, but I think that the argument here, and I mean this without taking a side, is that, you know, Trey Martinez Fisher is a high-risk, high-reward individual for, for, you know, different people in the capital community. The people who are on his side, he's a fighter. He leads with his fist, you know, guy's a articulate and, and tough uh, character. People don't like him, don't like him. And the thought of him going into the Senate elates some people and deflates others. And I think that there are going to be a bunch of people who are going to attempt to do what they can to thwart him. I'm not sure that the math and the dynamics of that race would necessarily permit him to be thwarted. But Well, what you are seeing is that those, who, those people from San Antonio who supported Vandepute during her lieutenant governor's race are splitting. I mean, they're, they're not going with whoever, whomever they might think she will support, even though she's not going to publicly endorse. But the Zacharies are going for Menendez, and they were contributors to her campaign, whereas Joe Bernal is obviously team TMF this time around. Big, big time. Yeah. Right. And he has the range of people in the San Antonio political universe on the Democratic side, from Joaquin Castro, Roland Gutierrez... You say Bernal. He's got a bunch of those folks who are with him, and you know he's going to. I think they're both pretty good candidates. Hard. It's actually sort of interesting. They're both pretty good candidates, and this is one of those races that handicaps differently in Austin than it does in San Antonio. Well, I would agree with that. That we here in Austin truly don't know right how this is going to shake out. We're right. perfectly happy to tell you what we think anyway, but I think we don't <laughs> know how it's going to work out. You know, the same thing with the mayor's race. I mean, the Austin version of this mayor's race is you know Vanderpute running away, and you know, and that Villarreal got caught. And believing, as we did, that she was serious when she said she was not going to run for mayor. But, you know, he would have been um, foolish not to make plans for her entering the race later. And, you know, here we are. So we'll find out if he's made plans for that and if he's already, you know, built a firewall in here. You know, but but people in San Antonio. He can't ungive up his seat. Well, right. I mean, he's he's committed. He's, you know. Well, I mean, as soon as she announced, he posted something saying, does the mayorship of San Antonio really represent a consolation prize for people? He went, I mean, right out the door, he went after her. He right. That's that's the kind of argument <laughs> that you make the, and that sounds good to you. But that's the kind of race that is going to kind of uh, <laughs> ring differently in Austin than it does in San Antonio. And it may, might be a really, really great race after all. You know, Villarreal won his house seat against the establishment Democrats including Vandepute in San Antonio's. I, I think that could be interesting. Well, it's it's great to see so much churn because these elections were mostly so boring 
And in fact, so we may have, have several more. Well, we may have <laughs> more. It's like a consolation prize election, right? Speaking of which, right, right, we may have more competitive elections in the next two months than we did in the last one year. <laughs> you know, and I kind of think that's great, honestly. And and I go back to what I said about uh, TMF that should he get into the Texas Senate, um, he would be an interesting and I think destabilizing in a non-judgmental sense element. Well, his his relationship with the I mean destabilizing in the best way possible. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think he would not be in there. What do I mean by that, Ross? Glad you asked. He would go in there not to just get along. Ross, is that true or false? It is Please true confirm. Or false. Oh, yes. PLR. Wait, see if you can get Sherry Sylvester on the phone. See if she'll confirm. No, his but his relationship with the with like the chair of his the body that he's in has always been interesting. He used to be sort of a big attack dog going after Strauss, and then Strauss found a way to Use those instincts to his advantage and had him going after other people. They made peace they made, with his weight loss. Didn't they made they made <laughs> peace. Strauss sent him to Crunch Fitness, and then all of a sudden he was fine. <laughs> they made peace to a great extent in the 2013 session. And and you know if if somebody like that who's been, um, you know he's a pugilist, he's a fighter, and, and has been that way in the House. When you go into the Senate, do the Demo- How does he get along with the Democrats? That's actually sort of the first interesting question. What, what do Democrats? The, do the John Whitmires and the other Democrats there? Yeah. Royce West and all of those folks say, chill out, this isn't the House, or do they say, you know, let that be our leading fist? Or will the Senate look like the House? Well, right, right. The other question behind this, and I, I, you know, I offer the question, I don't have any answers. Is Evan who, probably has an answer. Who's, who's the <laughs> leader? Do. I'm confirmed. Who's answer. the leader now of the Democrats in the House? If, if Trey Martinez Fisher leaves, you know, he's been the most obvious. Well, Mrs. Davis has been the leader in name, right? right? So they haven't elected a, a chairman of the caucus. That'll be one of the first orders of business. Don't you think sort of she runs among again? The member? I think she probably does. Being the spiritual leader among the members, and who is the sort of vocal face of the Democrats in the House? That's well, there are only 52, and you can subtract a certain number from consideration. It's a pretty small pool. I, you know, if I started in the House with a body of 52 on nonpartisan issues like, you know, the fight over whether Walmart can sell whiskey or whether Tesla can sell cars or Uber can taxi people around, 52 is a pretty good number to start with. That's a force. A force, nah, force for, for good or for evil. I think, the House Democrats, <laughs> I think the House Democrats have more of a playbook to be relevant than the Senate Democrats do, at least from my vantage point right now. Because with 20 Republicans in the Senate and and in all likelihood a two-thirds rule that drops to 60 percent, Republicans have one more than they need to do anything they want or to prevent anything they want. There's an argument that could be made that the Democrats may as well not come to work between January and June. But that also depends on the Republicans being unified. And if the Republicans can't remain unified, if the Republicans are split, they're going to be looking the two sides or the three sides or however many factions there are. How split are the Republicans we'll be looking the for We'll be looking for allies, and the Democrats will be sitting there saying, you know, taking I taking want to orders. ask you how split the Republicans are in the Senate. Uh, Reeves' question really was predicated on Lois Colcourt's election to replace Glenn Hager in the Senate. She theoretically joins what is the majority of the majority. I don't know. You say the more conservative, uh, uh, the bomb bomb thrower caucus. The first vote we get to see that might make that apparent is going to be the vote on rules and whether we keep the two thirds rule in the Senate. Does that vote split the Republicans in the Senate? Can you whip that vote? Can I whip that vote? Um, Yeah. All you need is sixteen to get (laughs) the two thirds rule to be dead, right? Are you I going need an to old priest and right a young now? priest, man. That thing is dead, <laughs> dead. Reed thinks this just became a triple X podcast. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Don't do blue. It killed Red Fox. 
<laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. They have about. no idea who Red Fox is, no. No, I'm sorry he got killed, though. And he died of his own. I think he died of his own. But, but, True but or false, whip, whip the vote. 16, <laughs> 16, 16 votes to kill the two-thirds rule. I think that they're going to kill. Votes. I think they're going to kill the two-thirds rule. The question is whether that vote splits the Republicans or not. And you know, if there are some Republicans who are not on board with that, then I think we're starting to see. Yeah, maybe that's the beginnings of the factions in the Senate. Of course, that is such a scorecard vote, don't you think? That's like the scorecardiest vote ever. The two-thirds rule. Probably. Oh my God. More more scorecardy than the Strauss Turner vote okay, in the House. You got me. When you say ever, <laughs> no. uh, so we weren't planning on talking about any of that. So shall we get back? <laughs> How's that going, Mister Moderator? Anyway, it's every other podcast ever. Should we get back to our pre-planned programming, or do you want to keep going? No, about, if, you a, about, if you had a plan, I'm anxious to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Uh, no, I, I was going to lead off with Abbott, actually, who is the governor-elect. <laughs> who has to manage Very all of this. Again. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, let's wind the clock back to Sunday when he was on Meet the Press and declined to endorse any of the Texans potentially running for president. Surprise? Smart. Oh, so smart. Smart. I mean, there's no reason to jump into this. Endorsements say, endorsements say more about the endorsee than about about the endorser than the endorsees. And there's no reason to endorse a Republican in this thing if you've got two or four or five, however many Texans it turns out are in this race. Neither one of the principal two are even officially running for president. Right. Who are the principal two? Well, the two you're talking about, Perry, Perry and Cruz. And Cruz. Um, and then he also, uh, Chuck Todd also threw in Jeb Bush as a Texan. And Jeb Bush was born a, a Tino, here. I Rand, think. Rand Paul grew up here, was born here, I think. Right, Carly Fiorina, Carly if she Fiorina runs, was, grew up in Austin. Uh, grew up so. in Austin. So, you know, there's no reason to jump into that. He didn't. So offered a chance to make a mistake. Abbott passed. And the next day he had a press conference in Austin where he announced his legislative priorities vaguely. And his staff. Well, no, specifically. I actually thought they were less vague than I know some people say, well, this is exactly what he said during the campaign. I actually dissent from that point of view. I think he put much more flesh on the skeleton in this press conference. I came out of the election cycle not really understanding or knowing much about where Abbott was headed because you run a campaign. Campaign's all about punching and kicking and biting. And you get out of a campaign and you have to govern and it becomes less about destroying the other side. It becomes about, okay, these are the things I'm going to do. That word govern is inconveniently embedded in the word governor. So you got to do stuff. And so I'm looking at him say education, border security, which is kind of a checkbox for everybody these days, uh, infrastructure investment, millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And then economic development. And that's the four. And I'm going – did you steal the notes from Joe Strauss? Wait, did we just elect Governor-elect Strauss? <laughs> right. I mean because honestly he had no sharp objects whatsoever on the table. And then you look at the senior staff he appointed and it's not like the cast of Agenda Wise or you know the staff box. It's like – it's like or the Empower Texans. It's like the AG's regular office. folks. Is that your phone ringing? Well, it will. It will. It's like regular, but it's regular it's folks. A, it's it's a, Randy Urban it's, and Julia Rathgaber and it's a, it's Daniel a solid, who, are, who are these people? It's a solid staff. It's Louis you know, Sines. Yeah, he, it's a mix of people from the a couple of people from the campaign, but mostly people from the AG's office and from previous administrations and and you know people who know what they're doing. It's, it's a not good, bomb throwers it's or, or it's flag a, carriers. It's a good for mix of party. staff. Louis Sines worked for uh, Perry. 
in uh, press, for, for Hutchison press, and right? for Graham. Well, I mean, for, in a number of jobs. He worked capacity. in press and worked, you know, in, in uh, <clears throat> right. some admin positions. He's going to do appointments. Randy Irvin, who worked for Bill Clements and has been a uh, a really good a lobbyist, prominent uh, hired gun lobbyist, um, kind of a non-controversial, well thought of, well thought of, well thought of lobbyist, um, is going to handle legislative affairs for Abbott, which was one of the things that people around the Capitol were really looking at. Who's going to do this? For Abbott, you know, since he hasn't really worked in that building. Um, Drew so DeBerry from that's, AG, that's a, who's that's well thought hire. of, right? Drew DeBerry and, and uh, Julia Rathgaber are going to do policy stuff, head the policy staff. Drew was the chief of staff to Todd Staples over at Agriculture. Julia Rathgaber was uh, chief of staff. She was head of policy, chief of staff and head of policy for the lieutenant governor at various times, and most recently was the state's commissioner of insurance. Um, it's a, you know, you can kind of go down the list. It's, you know... Um, it's a little business it, as usual, really. It's, well, but, but it's, it's a not, really it's solid not, staff. They're not like any... There's nobody here that you go, oh, that's a bad pick. But that's not a negative... So who was, who was the worst hire then, Ross? <laughs> not even going to play. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a negative. By saying it's business as usual, it's more a reaction to the idea that somehow we're going to bring a bunch of outsiders in right. and is, turn the page. Well, and the, other thing, no the other thing turn. that a lot of people were asking, is this going to be Perry all right, over Right, is again? it Rick Perry 2.0? I, I, don't, I don't really think so. Um, we didn't mention the top guy, Dan, Daniel Hodge, who you pro filed, Mm -hmm. um, is a smart guy, very, very close to Abbott, an Abbott loyalist has, you know, I mean... um, Right, sort of Abbott 2.0, really. Really knows the guy. They're genuinely close. And, you know, he's a capable guy. So, you know, I think this is a really solid staff. So given... So Abbott's second move, the first move was didn't offer a chance to make a mistake, did not. Here's the second one, offered a chance to make a mistake. Did not. Did not. And you don't think the policy proposals could have been more specific? I mean, basically it's Oh, sort of, of course they could be more specific. They could be, but how, how, how smart is well, that? I, I, but I think the math problem is going to catch up with these guys sooner or later. You know, $4 billion They do hate fuzzy math. Well, $4 billion for <laughs> infrastructure so. investments. Yeah. We're going to put money into higher ed, make higher Plus, ed awesome. We're going to pay for pre-K again. We're going to do border stuff. But we're going to cut property taxes. We're going to end, not mend. Probably right. the margins tax, and oh by the way, no taxes, fees, or toll roads. I don't think they can afford to end. Uh, the, the, I don't think they can afford to end the margins tax. The other thing that got left out of all these stories in some way, you know, that they did a pretty good job of knocking out was this week they did. Here's our staff, and here is our agenda. Nothing to get upset about here. Last week they filed a lo- another one last lawsuit against the Obama administration. So the red meat was last week, and Monday was vegetarians. And there was there was some actually very ambitious stuff sort of just sort of quietly ticked off. I mean he said he wanted every third grader to graduate at or ahead of grade level mm-hmm. in third grade which is I think fairly ambitious and if, if for every third grader so it would be quite a, would be quite yeah. an improvement right there, there was Evan mentioned the four billion for road funding some of which is already in the works because <clears throat> we approved prop one the, right but I, th- I th- but I think if, if you if you begin to discuss the funding mechanism for this by talking about how we're going to get all this money back from diversions, I call BS on that. Because if you defund DPS to take back the money that's being diverted to fund DPS, then all you do is dig a hole around DPS. Nobody believes we're going to defund DPS. You're going to have to go find money to fund DPS. If you're going to spend $4 billion on roads, you've got to get $4 billion somewhere. Somewhere. And, and the somewhere is the, the left And he's already the taken off the table taxes, fees, and tolls. Okay, tell me where it's going to come from. I mean, this is not really about him so much as anybody in politics who just talks generally about we're going to spend all this money on something but doesn't tell you 
how they're going to pay for it. And if they start talking, as has become voguish these days, about we're going to end diversions, do not believe that that's about appropriations. That's about accounting. Well, it's not they, about spending money. Haven't they said a large chunk of it comes from Prop 1? Which moves some of the money. A that chunk. It is a large chunk. It's, it's a not, chunk. It's, it's, not about a, it's about a quarter or to a third, isn't it? And then another chunk of some size comes from vehicle sacks, vehicle sales vehicle tax. Vehicle tax. Who knew? Vehicle sales taxes. I said, oh, did right? I not say don't do blue earlier? Well, it's not sweeps week. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I was combining sales and tax. I'm sure you were. Saving yeah. time. <laughs> vehicle sales tax. And then. Uh, but and, you're taking, and then the rest happens. But you're taking money from other stuff, and you've got to figure out how to fund the other stuff or say I'm not going to fund the other stuff. It's, that's, that's right. sort of, In the same way that saying we're going to orchestrate a statewide property tax cut even though there's no statewide property tax. Right. And we're going to do something with the margins tax that's going to result in people paying less money to the state, but we're going to continue to fund everything that we are currently funding despite the fact that those two things produce a hell of a lot of revenue toward funding stuff. This one's in your ballpark, but he also said he wanted to see some of the Texas public universities in the nation's top 10 list. We're, our top one's like number 25, 26. Yeah, well, it depends on what top 10 list you're looking at, right? right? So, I mean, we talked with the higher ed commissioner uh, about this uh, earlier this week, and he said, yeah, no, I, you know, we've supported that. Obviously, in 2009, they had the legislation to create all these different yeah. incentive funds to, for emerging universities to become tier one universities. Um, but he's, he said, I, while I support sort of elevating our universities, don't just look at the U.S. News and World Report rankings. I mean, I think in the academic world, there's a feeling that they sort of pervert uh, the the uh, goals and incentives of the universities if everyone just focuses on that. Like Washington Monthly already has right. Texas schools in the top ten. Um, different rankings have different. Yeah, Washington but, Monthly's list is not based on academics. It's based on ability how well to you serve the. Well, community. yeah. It's, do you are you you know bootstrapping you know people from you know. Well, if you don't care about rankings, then stop talking about rankings. Right. Well, but don't most universities use sort of their peer institutions as a comparison? Do they really? Uh, depends on what they want to. Be. If you want to be a prestigious university, you are going to be using the U.S. News and World Report rankings. As yeah. a parent who just yeah. went through this gigantic marketing cycle, they use <laughs> they everything. They well, use yeah. It's so part two of this, which butter. is less related to Abbott, but still is related to your beat, principal beat, higher education, and gets back to Charles Schwartner, the state senator from Georgetown. Right. We're going to move into Bill's file. I mean, this, the, but this ties into this question of what's the math look like on some of this investment stuff. So we're going to re-regulate tuition. People think tuition's well, gotten to be out of hand. We, someone has filed a bill to do that. Okay, but this is my. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm speaking in the theoretical sense. Yeah. So we're theoretically going to re-regulate tuition, Apparently, but we're not. There's a rumor on the street that tuition has been re-regulated. Yeah, I hear TLR is pushing. It can be confirmed. Uh, we're going to re-regulate tuition, but we're not going to go back and start funding higher ed at the level that we funded it as a state prior to tuition dereg. Well, the the coordinating board has asked for an increase in funding for higher education. Uh, you know, I think. Yeah, that, I can. Yeah, you, you can ask for anything you want. Like re-regulation. Doesn't mean you're yeah. going to get it. Yeah, same. That's the same with okay. re-regulating tuition. Okay, pinky bet. The likelihood of re-regulating tuition. <laughs> the likelihood of re-regulating tuition bet? is higher than the likelihood of Ray Paredes and the coordinating board getting any additional money out of the budget. I don't think that's true. I do. I think. What do you think? I, you know, they're going to spend more money on higher education than they did. Um, whether they spend more. Per capita is kind of up in the air. But the issue here on on um, tuition 
correct me if I'm wrong, at, at most state universities, the state's share is something like 17% now. Tuition and other funds make up everything else in the in the budgets. Yeah, something like at, that. At the University of Texas at Austin, it's down to 12% state funding. And, you know, people are screaming about tuition. Texas is still But that's also a that's little the bit share. Below. I mean, that's, that's the share of state right. appropriations. Obviously, all these schools, their budgets have also gotten larger as they've gotten sort of more ambitious in what they do and what they provide students. And all all of that said. All these new people come to the state and need to be educated. You know, Susan Combs put out a thing this week on, you know, the rises in public and private school education tuition and all of that stuff in Texas. Texas is still below the national median for in-state tuition. Um, I don't know where we are on out-of-state tuition, but we're below the the median. It's Just a, barely. It's, but a, we're, it's we're around, middle of the pack. It's around eight grand on average for tuition and fees here. Uh, Illinois, I think, is 12000 Florida's down around 4000 It's pretty low. So, But the median's a little bit higher than Texas, so we're not really out of whack with everybody else, but everybody else is having the same problem. They, people think tuition's too high. And so Senator Schwartner has filed a bill to re-regulate, basically cap tuition at what it is now and only allow it to increase at the rate of inflation. People have been – there have been people out there calling for the re-regulation of tuition ever since they deregulated tuition. But it seems to have gotten a little bit more traction now, and this seems like an issue on which Republicans and Democrats are more likely to square – the circle come around. It's not a partisan deal. But, but they still have the problem of if you're going to lower tuition or control tuition, the state has to put up more money. Where do you get that? Right. And they have the problem or of just not put up more money and tell the universities eat it. And try to get the universities into the top <laughs> 10 on the ratings we don't want to use. Right. How notable is it that Shortner was the one who filed this? I mean, he's sort of well, he's, emerging as a... He's a respected Republican member of the Senate. So, I mean, that makes it more likely and to And someone move close than, to the lieutenant you know, governor a lot. a list of disrespected members? <laughs> it suggests that there's the a The beginning group. of the session, everybody respects everybody. Okay. No, but people pay attention to Shortner when they he They do. Has, That's actually true. You know, he's a serious guy. If you talk to, if you talk to other I senators and, like, what senators do you like? Shortner is a name that comes up, you know? That's what I mean. It's a high school well, slam book quality. quality to yeah, the right. there's a high school slam book quality to the Everything. Texas Senate. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, what were we saying? No, so I think it is. It's it's significant. Rodney Ellis has been really uh, vocal on the need to a respected senator from Houston. He, yeah. He's a respected Democratic senator. <laughs> right there, you go from Houston. There's a difference. Right. <laughs> it's like jumbo shrimp. It's like an oxymoron. <laughs> No, but I mean, Tommy Williams really wanted to re-regulate tuition after you know he said he, that was his, one of his biggest regrets. Now he's gone, and, and tuition is still deregulated. Sure salary depends po- on tuition. He's a Texas. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure his point of view is the same today. <laughs> no, I really, really think I should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's been an idea that's out there. We'll see if it actually gains traction. Just because something has traction going in doesn't mean it'll happen. Especially when you have, you know, the universities. Uh, are probably not that eager to have their tuition regulated, especially knowing the chances of getting more money out of the legislators for their budgets. Well, the universities also don't want guns on campus, but that doesn't mean, given the makeup of the legislature this time, that they're going to get their wish. But they also don't want guns on campus and have managed to fight that off for multiple sessions in a row, even though it looked like it was bound to happen. Yeah. Open carry is going to be an issue. I think campus carry will be back. I think those are two of the red meat things that will... But Ken, Herman, Herman, Ken Herman said a little while ago today, I was with Ken Herman, he thought that they might propose mandatory open carry <laughs> in this legislature. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. But the, the difficulty of getting campus carry passed and the shows you just – I mean, universities are a strong force when they don't like something. Every lawmaker has a university in their backyard or, or a community college. And so when they don't like something, I mean, it can make it harder than you might think to get it through. 
So yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't I say that tuition yeah. has definitely been re-regulated at this point. No, but I'm hearing more people talk about it. I mean, in the same way, it's like, well, you know, oh, we're going to get rid of in-state tuition. Well, yeah, really. And then suddenly it's like, well, hmm, everybody's talking about this. I kind of wonder if maybe there's getting some critical mass on this. Yeah, but everyone, everyone in higher ed thought that they were all going to get uh, tuition revenue bonds for campus construction. Last well, that's session. true. Yeah. They all, but they all think it now. Right. Yeah. I have to find out if they're right. The governor's office thought that they were going to get outcomes-based funding for higher education. This is the longest session. we've talked about higher ed in three years <laughs> without saying the words Wallace or Hall. How about that? How about that? Well, should we uh, talk about Wallace Hall? No, should we just <laughs> should we call it quits before we get too close to that issue? It'll take us one step closer to the Christmas podcast. Why not? Mm, which Evan is very excited about, apparently. Apparently. I am. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the Christmas podcast? Uh, the annual podcast? You mean the the one that runs at the end of the year with all the intros mashed together? I love that one. No, but now we have to do it since you just <laughs> spoiled it. Yeah, I don't really give a crap about the Christmas podcast. Actually. It's the New <laughs> Year's the podcast intro. I like. All right. Well, so so stay tuned. Not for next week, but the one following. If you have questions or comments, send them to Tribcast. Is this whole thing over already? Really? Yeah. I th- would, would, would you give Alexa an opportunity to do you, We don't really have time. We what? talked about San Antonio too much. Yeah. Thanks, Evan. Do you want to say anything? <laughs> Here, you have two minutes. What, what do you want to say about the consolidation of the health agencies? Oh, yes. Um, today, the Sunset Advisory don't Commission. Don't mention Wallace Hall. <laughs> no, there's no Wallace Hall. How much Hall time involved. does she have now? Um, they are moving forward with a bid to consolidate the state's five health agencies into one mega agency, as, as it's being called. Um, it seems like it's going to go through. I mean, there's a lot of people whose jobs are on the line if, if the idea is to sort of streamline administrative support within the agencies. But it's we like, went from 12 to 5. It's like thirty or 40,000 employees, isn't it? It's 54,000 employees. So it's in not the, like in the it's five like, agencies wow. currently. Uh, as of 2013. So it would take it down to how many? Depends on how... How much, how much streamlining you want to do there. Oof, cliffhanger ending. All right, <laughs> if you have questions or comments, send them to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. We'd like to thank Shinyers for doing our music. On behalf of Alexa, Ross, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. He tends to make me throw up my mouth a lot these days. I think-